1: You are indeed a WWE Hall of Famer. It stands to reason that when we look back on their careers, you think to yourself, "Wow, they never did anything silly or anything stupid because they reached the top of their profession. Of course, it is sports entertainment though and nobody gets away from that. In fact, if you are planning to get into the grappling, at some point, you're going to be made to look like a fool. So there, my name is Simon what Culture. Please do hit that subscribe button. And today, that's right, we are going through 10 forgotten storylines for WWE Hall of Famers. Number 10, Shawn Michaels is the sexy servant. So the sexy part doesn't tie in at all. I only said that because Shawn Michaels referred to himself as a sexy boy, and I thought that it sounded quite nice when you say it out loud. I will let myself out. Given this features JBL as well, though, we have a pair of Hall of Famers, and we got this story in late 2008 and early 2009. But because there was a big financial crash, Vince McMahon decided, well, somebody's going to have to fall on hard times. And he chose Shawn Michaels, who apparently lost all his cash, even though he was still a WWE superstar. Huh. It meant he didn't even go to Bradshaw and said, please, please take me under your wing and give me a bunch of money. And because JBL was a massive asshole, he said yes, and he treated HBK like shit. It actually resulted in two matches in terms of the angle, because the first is when JBL was taken on John Cena for the WWE title. The whole point was Sean was meant to help out his leader, but he didn't when we got to No Way Out. We had Sean Michaels versus JBL with the stipulation that if Michaels won, he would be free from all of this. But if Bradshaw won, Sean would have to be under his employ for the rest of his life. Now, I haven't gone to a lawyer, but I don't think that's legal. And of course, Michaels was able to get the victory and we left all this behind us, mostly because I think WWE realized it was super duper silly. Also, this was mere weeks before Shawn Michaels had that match against The Undertaker at WrestleMania. All of this is bizarre. Number nine, Randy Savage versus Rodzilla. Never forget that between the years of 1997 and 1999, basketball superstar Dennis Rodman was kind of going, I don't want to shoot hoops anymore. I want to go to WCW and I want to have matches and he had four of these now the first one actually generated a bunch of interest you know the deal eventually it just becomes commonplace by number four nobody really cared to try and hide the fact the former chicago bulls player didn't really know what he was doing of course he was booked in multi-man matches until we got to 1999 eric bischoff went no now i think you've learned enough rod So we're going to put you in a one-on-one against the macho man, Randy Savage. Now, you couldn't have booked this any better because, of course, Randy Savage is one of the greatest wrestlers ever. So he could take care of Rodman. And holy crap, did we go to town with this? Because we even had an angle on the Jay Leno show where both dudes turned up and they had a massive fight. It was also hardcore rules. So there was a little bit more leeway. And this was the last match Dennis Rodman had. But I tell you, if you actually want to watch something that's kind of fun, you could do worse than this. And given the year it happened, and the fact it was World Championship Wrestling, those things didn't really go together. In fact, in 1999 and 2000, World Championship Wrestling was just really, really bad. Number 8, Edge and Mick Foley get hardcore. Everybody still remembers the Edge versus Mick Foley match at WrestleMania 22, because it was absolutely crazy. And as ever, Foley took a young superstar and said, I'm going to make you bigger than ever which is exactly what he did for Adam Copeland. What we don't talk about enough, though, is what happened after this feud. Because even though they tried to set each other on fire, given that we had ECW One Night Stand 2006 around the corner, from nowhere, Mick turned on Tommy Dreamer. He aligned himself with Edge and Lita and then they started walking around like they were massive heels. Ha. All of this is because somebody had come up with the idea to do Bula McGillicutty, Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk taking on Mick Foley, Edge and Lita. We did this at this show. And if you've never seen it, just make sure you go in prepared. They really pushed the envelope. I mean, some of this absolutely wouldn't make it onto TV in 2022, but it does have intrigue for it because this was a time when everybody loved Mick Foley and here he was trying to be a bad guy. Now, it did work, but also I think deep down in our tum we kind of just gave Foley what he wanted. Because again, he remains and forever will be an underrated jet. Also, the Hall of is in this, we just talked about them. number 7, Lita's Indecent Proposal. So when you do indeed look back through wrestling history, sometimes you will take your hand and you will palm it right into your face because you cannot believe what is happening on the screen. Probably best we just forget about it. Now we are going to talk about Lita and we are going to head to 1999, which is when we do have to take a little bit of a swerve. Because during this period, she actually wasn't Lita. She was in ECW. She was known as Angelica. She was also teamed with Roadkill and Danny Doring and apparently was in a relationship with Danny. And when we did indeed get to the pay-per-view and they were about to have a match... Well, Dan had some things he wanted to say on the microphone, so he held up proceedings. Because he was so taken by Angelica and decided this was the woman he wanted to spend the rest of his life with, that he decided to propose. Do you want to know what he used instead of a ring? If you just shouted out a condom... Very sadly, you'd be correct. Don't even bother watching this because it is terrible. And do not forget that a few years later, Lita would join the WWE. They made her do a live sex celebration. Now, let's not make two bones about it. Lita absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for what she did with Trish Stratus and during that era. But by Jove, did we put her in some bad positions? None of it is good. Number six, Ricky Steamboat turns back the clock. Now, I still can't believe this because it was so good. But somebody came up with the idea at WrestleMania 25, Chris Jericho could take on a trio of legends. So we got Roddy Piper and we got Jimmy Snooker and we got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now, the bar was quite low because we all knew that they were past their prime and this was just going to be a bit of rinky-dinky fun. When Steamboat tagged in all of a sudden, just became the best wrestler you'd ever seen. And not just because he was 56 years old, he was actually better than a lot of people in the back. I mean, this didn't make any sense. I mean, it was so well received that when we got to the next pay-per-view, which was Backlash, we also did Chris Jericho versus the Dragon in a singles match. And once again, Ricky was just flipping and flopping around the place. Just like magic, to be honest with you. How is anybody that old so good? It's important to note that Steamboat hadn't had a WWE singles match since 1991. And this continued too, because he went off the house show circuit for a while where he worked Drew McIntyre. Just go on the internet and Google some of those reports. Once again, smashed it. So this needs to come up more when Steamboat's name is mentioned. And look, even before this, he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. But once he had put in this performance, I tell you, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's one of my favorite wrestlers
0: ever. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: Number five, China is the champion. After years of demand, China was finally put on the Hall of Fame back in 2019. The only real shame that she was put in there alongside DX, where she should have got her own single entry holy cow did she change the game and you can make a bunch of arguments about all of this but if you go back to her pomp, there is no two ways about it Joni laura was a massive star hence why she was able to become the intercontinental champion and i don't think such a feat is ever going to happen again which makes it even more legendary the absolute craziness started in august 1999 though when we had the undertaker and triple h having a number one contender match but there was a third person in this thing and it was the ninth wonder of the world if you can believe it, China won. I mean, this was the attitude era, so that accolade then pinged around to everybody to find out who was going to take on Stone Cold Steve Austin. But we didn't do this on a whim. That conversation actually happened backstage because somebody went, hey, maybe China could face the rattlesnake before ultimately decided against it. And we went off in a different direction. It's also probably why China asked for main event money when her contract did come up for renewal. As we do know, sadly, the two parties never agreed they could never cope up, and China never came back to the company. She definitely should have finished this story. It's quite upsetting. Number four, the big boss man goes to war. The late Ray trailer was great. Now, we know him mostly as his role in the big boss man, but no matter what character you gave him, he was totally brilliant, mostly because he was huge, and somehow moved around like he was a cat. Now, a story we don't discuss enough is when he was in WCW and known as War Machine, which was very handy because we got to the second ever War Games match and we put Ray Trailer in it. It went down to the 1987 Great American Bash, and it was basically a who's who of wrestling at the time because you had the Four Horsemen, you had Nakia Koloff, you had the Road Warriors given that it was this stipulation, they just beat the hell out of each other to the point Dave Meltzer, he of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, watched it and went, wow, that was fantastic. It's getting five stars. And I know a lot of people don't care about such things and more power to you, but it does mean, when we do want to flame the comments, that in terms of star ratings, Ray Traylor was better than Eddie Guerrero. Ray Traylor was better than Rob Van Dam. Ray Traylor was better than Kurt Angle. Because Somehow, ridiculously, They never got five stars. I mean, this is just me being silly. And again, I'm trying to prod the bear. But mostly what I'm trying to get across to you is that Trailer is in the Hall of Fame. And there's a bunch of stuff that we never talk about. Honestly, he was so damn good. I loved him. Number three, Booker T is G.I. Bro. So why not have a wrestling character based on a pun? I mean, I'm trying to be a positive Pete here and find the positives. You could argue it was slightly offensive, but whatever. It was the year 2000, though, and Booker T was feuding with his brother Stevie Ray, as well as Big T that was the former Ahmed Johnson that for some reason had been brought into WCW. And do you know what they did of one of their pay-per-views? They had all these people fight over ownership of the letter T. I am not joking. This went down to Super Bowl 10 and given that Booker did lose, he had to get rid of his name. Because I guess lawyers were like, oh, sorry, you signed the deal. This is when he decided, well, hey, when I started to be a wrestler, I was G.I. Bro. So why don't I go back to that? I'll tell you why. Because it's ridiculous. There was also a military themed stable at this time known as the Misfits in Action. So he joined them for a little while. In about four weeks. WCW just went, nah. No, I think we've kind of made a misstep here. We scrapped the whole thing. He magically went back to being Booker T. Thankfully, he was then finally put in the main event scene. Boy, howdy, was that long overdue. We never spoke about this again either until we got to 2019 when Booker T decided that in Black Ops 2 there was a character that was ripping off this gimmick, so he tried to sue Activision. And you'll be surprised to hear. This went absolutely nowhere. Number two, Hulk Hogan's magical ring. Hulk Hogan's TNA run was bonkers. Basically, they opened the doors to him and Eric Bischoff and said, do you want to come in and do whatever you want? They agreed. So, of course, we got gibberish. Never was this more true than when we got to 2010 and we had this storyline on Impact. Because Abyss, you know, the massive monster, was suffering, like, a confidence crisis and he wasn't able to get his welly back when he bumped into the Hulk, who decided, no, this won't do. So he took out his Hall of Fame ring and he gave it to this masked man. It was all like, oh, this is going to give you so much power. You ain't going to believe it. And Abyss bought into this and kind of walked off skipping away. I mean, What was he, the Green Lantern? Now, of course, this was just meant to be a metaphor, but the way everybody approached it made us the fans go, "What well, does that ring have magic powers? And if not, what the flub are they talking about? And I will say that they tried to make this a legit thing, like it wasn't passed off as something stupid. <laughs> problem was, it was stupid. And of course, Hulk Hogan is in the Hall of Fame. I don't know who signed this off. Number one, Jim Ross introduces some fake wrestlers. I mean, did you hear what I just said? Fake wrestlers. That is way too much to process given what pro wrestling is. So let us just remind ourselves that Glenn Jacobs, Kevin Nash, Gotthall, and good old JR are already in the WWE Hall of Fame. And they're all kind of tied into this. Because in 1996, after Diesel and Razor Ramon had jumped to WCW, Vince McMahon went, well, I don't need the human beings. I don't need the individuals. I own the trademarks. So why don't we just bring the characters back? We'll get anyone to play them. i tell you why we shouldn't do that, because it's absolutely stupid. And it got even more weird, because we told commentator Jim Ross to start teasing this. And after a few weeks, sure, out came Diesel and out came Razor Ramon but it was quite clear these were different people. That's because they were being played by Rick Bogner and none other than Glenn Jacobs, who, of course, would go on to be Kane, and as we've already stated, is in the Hall of Fame. The audience was absolutely livid about this because they had just been trolled, and I suppose it's not really fair to put Hall and Nash into it because what did they do? But this is one of the worst moments in WWF history, and I hope we'll never do it again, but am I sure? No. Now, please do leave a comment below and let me know what you think about any of these entries and make sure you give us some more. Like the video, share the video and subscribe. Hello over to whatculture.com where you can read articles like this with your eyes. Make sure you come follow us on social media and we have a ton of videos there for your entertainment. Watch one. My name is Simon WhatCulture. Thank you very much for joining me as always. See you soon.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.